Well, today is a special day for a few different reasons. But namely, let me give you the first one. See this rather mundane looking book? Pretty boring title, Register of Church Services. This thing has been with King of Kings ever since we started 20 years ago. So you can look back to the beginning. Very first one, 2000, late November, first service. Holy Eucharist, 24 people at uh, RTS classroom. That's where we started. And it goes on. There's many names. You've got John Schuler's name. You've got Alan Hawkins' name. You've got Fred Pinkson's name. You've got Randy Forrester's name. You've got Andy Hum's name. You've got a lot of names in here. I'm not even covering all of them. Some I don't even know. 20 years. So... The Red Book tells the tale. The reality is, guys, that churches fold all the time, and we are here 20 years later. Uh, We are lean. We are mean. We are battered. We are buffeted. But we are still here worshiping the Lord today. We're still here moving forward towards East Charlotte and the mission the Lord's calling us on. So I'm grateful for that. It's just no small miracle, and it's a mark of God's faithfulness to us. Please let us not miss that today. So 20th anniversary, that's reason one. Second thing, and I'm going to give you the, the more, uh, you can find this on Wikipedia, I'm sure, if you want to. Christ the King Sunday is special for other reasons. It's the end of the church year for us. We're about to launch into a new church year uh, next Sunday. It's relatively new in our calendar. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church instituted it in 1926. And at that time, one of the purposes for that was trying to combat uh, secularism, atheism, all these isms, even communism. That was one of the things since World War I was in that rearview mirror, still a distant memory. So the larger significance of it remains, though, beyond all that. Christ the King Sunday today helps us remember and intentionally focus on Jesus Christ, sovereign king over all creation. It's a very stubborn reminder of a deep and spiritual reality in the face of all worldly appearances, right? Who's really running the show down here? Jesus Christ the King is. Now, what does it mean that we say Jesus Christ is King? We're going to touch on that today, obviously, but let's begin with uh, that title of Christ. It's not Jesus' last name. It's not like, you know, introduce yourself Christ, Jesus Christ. No, that's a title. Jesus is his first name. Uh, it's a title that means anointed one or uh, Messiah. And what that means is this is someone whose God has chosen to fulfill a specific role and a specific mission, such as a king. Now, in the Old Testament, you anointed for three main roles. You anointed your prophets, you anointed the high priest, and you anointed the king, right? This was always directed by God. He did the choosing. He did the anointing. Now, Jesus fulfilled all these roles, prophet, priest, king. But today, we're talking about Jesus as not just any king, not just king over Israel, not just the king of the Jews, but someone who's king over everything, the king over all. Jesus Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, Christ, the king. That's what we're about today. Now, I'm going to give you a little quiz and see who's paying attention. It's not hard, but if you paid attention to the readings, I should get some hands fly up. There were two dominant images about God in our readings today. Anybody want to venture a guess with those two images? I see that hand. 
shepherd. Ding, ding, ding. That's one. Is there another one? Hey, thank you. I didn't want to give it away too much. That's right. Shepherd and king. Those are the two dominant images, and they're inextricably linked in the scriptures if we view them as a whole. And it speaks of God. Shepherd, king. Now, we're really familiar with Jesus, the good shepherd, right? Psalm 23, we know that. We're probably very familiar with Jesus as king. But when you put the combination together, if we're honest, it's a little odd. It's kind of mismatched, right? You have the lowly, common, earthy life of a shepherd versus the regal and distinguished and exalted life of a king. Now, we can say, okay, are those two opposing images or is it just a holy paradox? Well, for me, I'm going with holy paradox because it sounds a lot like the incarnation to me. So in the ancient Near East, especially in the Old Testament, a ruler or leader was often designated or described as a shepherd. It just wasn't uncommon. Not common for us, common for them. Moses is described that way, shepherd. King David described that way, a shepherd. And yes, I love the fact that they were actually shepherds. So it's more than just like this idea or this metaphor. It's grounded in the real stuff of life. Now, to be a shepherd king was to move against the grain when you looked at all the other competing cultures around Israel. To be a shepherd king was countercultural. To be a servant leader. Other ancient Near Eastern kings, they ruled over their people. They ruled aloof from their people. They lived very extravagant lives at their own people's expense. The people oftentimes were a resource at the king's disposal and sometimes subject to the king's whims. But a shepherd, completely opposite. A shepherd leads, a shepherd protects, a shepherd cares for his flock, cares for his people. He lives amongst them. He's not removed in some faraway palace. He sleeps and abides with them out in the fields, finds them when they're lost and when they've wandered away. And shepherds are capable of protecting the flock from harm. Shepherds knew how to handle themselves. They really, really did. They were formidable. They could take on wolves. They could take on lions if they threatened the flock. When they're speaking of uh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, we know what the staff is. A rod is a weapon used to defend the flock. So when you think of what a good king is, when you think of what a good leader is, it looks an awful lot like a good shepherd. That's what we see in Scripture. And by the way, the flock is always seen as belonging to the Lord. He speaks of them as my sheep. And uh, the kings that ruled uh, as vice regents of God, God called them my shepherds. So it's a stewardship thing. You know, how we handle the things that belong to the Lord. So you're God's flock on loan to me. um, And I'm shepherding you on God's behalf. That's how it works. Now, as you know... There were certainly some bad shepherd kings in Israel. And Ezekiel, in our Old Testament passage, rails against them because they act more like the worldly kings that surrounded them. They were greedy. They were self-seeking. In chapter 34, 1 through 10, that's right before our passage, he lodges three main complaints. Here's what Ezekiel says about these bad kings. One, you exploit the people. You grow fat by making other people lean, right? People were just the fuel for the engine of their kingdom, okay? Second thing, you do not care for the weak and the downtrodden. That was another indictment. You ignored the least of these. And the third piece was, uh, as the flocks scattered, probably speaking of exile there, uh, they didn't really act out of protection. 
Sheep on their own are very easy prey, and they're not the brightest of animals, and especially if there's no one there to bring them together, and if no one goes looking for them when they wander off, which they are one to do. So these bad kings, Ezekiel takes them to task. The Lord says they will be deposed, okay, because of all of the above, everything I just told you. And in our Old Testament passage, 11 through 20, chapter 34, God takes upon himself the mantle of shepherd, clearing out the old regime. So let me read you uh, verses 11 through 16. Just refresh. Chapter 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, will seek them out. And as a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I'll seek the lost, and I'll bring back the strayed, and I'll bind up the injured, and I'll strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I'll destroy. I will feed them in justice. Stephen did a great job reading that particular passage for us, emphasizing that I myself. Do you hear how many times the Lord says, I myself will And there's some action that follows. I myself will do this. It's a very powerful picture of a true shepherd king. Let me refresh your memory here. A true shepherd king seeks out the lost sheep, rescues them, brings them back from exile, provides for them food and water, provides safety, security, rest, nurses the injured back to health, and so on and so forth. Guys, can you hear? There is no self-interest in that at all. Zero. This shepherd king serves. And Ezekiel is talking about far more than the coming of King David, isn't he? This is about the king who's going to come through David, Christ the king, Jesus. There's something else that the shepherd king does. And scripture tends to associate it more with that specific mantle of kingship. So I'm going to focus on that. Let me read you the last few verses of our passage, Old Testament passage. Pick up at the end of uh, verse 16. Uh, It talks about strengthening the weak, the fat and the strong. I will destroy them. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between ram and male goats. It's not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you've trodden with your feet? And drink what you have muddied with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between them, the fat and the lean sheep. It goes on to say quite a bit more than that. The mantle of kingship, getting back to that, means that you rule and you reign justly. A good king determines what is righteous, what is not. A good king promotes justice. Being a king means judging between right and wrong, between truth and error, ruling on those things. Judgment, in that sense, is just part of reign and rule. It's just in the job description. 
And that kingly devotion to justice and judgment, I hope you heard that in all our readings today. It's just, it's right there. It's present. Christ the King as judge, as we saw in Jesus' second coming. So Matthew 25, you heard that. That's a very weighty and awful, I mean in the old-fashioned sense, passage. Slightly less cosmic, 1 Corinthians 15. But both involve judgment. Both involve all things coming in under subjection of Jesus Christ, the King. Everything on earth, everything below the earth, everything above the earth, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Christ the King, undeniable. And Jesus will separate those who followed him from those who have not. So this is that righteous judgment. This is the stuff of heaven and hell. I mean, the second coming of Jesus is a comfort and a victory to some and a woe and a terror to others. And Matthew and 1 Corinthians paint a picture of, uh, I, I don't know how to say it, Jesus's like cosmic rule and reign through like a big wide angle IMAX lens, if you will. Ezekiel is a bit smaller. It's like the micro lens. It's not so grand. It's like he's looking, glimpsing something through, through a keyhole or a little pinhole, right? Just to get a little glimpse eternity. It's that uh, idea that Augustine played with a lot. The Old Testament is in the New Testament concealed. So he's looking through a glass darkly, and here's what he sees. He sees this picture, as you've heard, of the fat and the strong lording it over the weak and the injured and the poor. So it's the fat and the lean, okay? These are the things. The picture here could not be clear. The fat are fat because they hoard. They're selfish. They don't share. They're entitled. You can really hear that in the description in Ezekiel. The fat oppress the lean. Okay? And what our good shepherd king has to say about this, verse 16, I will feed them with justice. And later in verse 20, I myself, there it is again, will judge between the fat and the lean. This is justice. Now, Ezekiel's message is, is pretty clear, right? God is cleaning house. Out with the bad shepherd kings, they're out, and so are the sheep that follow their example. Sifting, purifying, it's the pruning of God's people. And incidentally, for those of you who uh, paid close attention to my sermon two weeks ago from Amos, Ezekiel and Amos, they are cut from the same prophetic stone. Justice for the least of these, freedom from repression, that's a drum that they bang loud and proud uh, all day long. So the low and the least of these are exalted and lifted up when this new shepherd comes to town. Now, let's get practical, right? We're pragmatic, we're Americans, let's get practical. For all this talk of Jesus as king, Jesus as shepherd king, it begs a question as we end this year and we strain towards another. Do I want a king? Do we want a king? Uh, Will I live under that king's reign? Will we live under that king's reign? Are we willing to play shepherd or sheep to his shepherd, if you will? Some would call that a lordship issue. That's fair. Some would call it a submission issue. That's fair too. Is Jesus the king of your heart? Is Jesus the ruler of your life? Christ the king, it's objectively true. We know it. But the real question, is it true for you? Is it true in your life? Many Christians find tremendous comfort in God is a good shepherd, right? Psalm 23, comfort. Uh, this passage in Ezekiel, comforting. 
But just as often, we can just love God for his benefits, right? We can love God for what he does for us, which is really use. It isn't love. Rather than loving him. So when we think of this king, the question that sits before us as individuals and as a church is, is our entire life devoted to him, to this shepherd, Christ the king? Does he have the whole of our hearts? Or do we place our hope in other kings, which is idolatry? So Sundays like today invite us to examine our hearts, to ask those hard questions. Is Jesus the king of your heart? There's another way to look at today. So as we uh, enter a new year, it's next week, because next Sunday, we do need this remembrance and this comfort that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is king over all creation. When the early church said Jesus is Lord, they were saying that all the other Caesars of the world were not. God certainly intends this as a comfort to us, what we've heard today. Given the unrest of a global pandemic, given the unrest of the tremendous political and racial landscape in our nation right now, uh, we need to lean into Jesus as king. We need to bank on it, we need to claim it, and we need to remember it. Jesus Christ the king. Other kings, as you know, they vie for your attention. They want your loyalty. They want your devotion. World leaders do. Politicians do. Wealthy business magnates do. Uh, The court of public opinion does. The powerful force of human culture. They all want your devotion. They want you to make them king. And then there's the world of flesh and the devil in there to kind of further uh, muck things up. We must not take our eyes off Jesus. We must not place our hope elsewhere. We need to be clear about where our allegiance is, that it's a heavenly allegiance, and where our hope is in Jesus Christ the King. What a good reminder right now. What a hopeful reminder right now as we head into a new year that begins with Advent, a season that is focused on hope and on longing and on the ache for things to be made right and about the anticipation and expectation that Jesus will come again to save, to redeem, to rescue, and yes, to judge. We need to cling to the shepherd king as we head into a new year, limping and weary as we are battered and bruised and tired as we are. Don't you feel it in your bones this year? Don't you feel it in your soul? Aren't you tired? I know I'm tired. I know I'm weary and I know I'm not the only one. These days are long and hard. Folks are suffering right now. So take heart. The saints who've gone before us, they have suffered as we have. Many of them were actually persecuted for their faith, and yet they persevered. They held on to Jesus, their king. And those saints who've gone before us, they know something fully that we don't know just yet. Something we only know uh, in glimpses and in moments. Paul and Peter talk about this in the New Testament. Let me read you three quick verses. Familiar verses. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Romans 8, 18. For this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Or these words from 1 Peter 5, 10. And after you have suffered a little while, The Lord God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
Two big themes in all of those verses, suffering and glory, suffering and glory. This king we serve is intimately acquainted with our suffering. Jesus experienced the worst the world had to offer, knowing that his earthly life and its travails did not have the final word. It is not life sucks and then you die. So just kind of make the best of it and soldier on. That's not it. That's not a biblical story. It's not the ending. It's not the story we're in. Jesus saw uh, the glory set before him, and he knew that hope would ultimately draw us home, suffering and glory, suffering and glory. That is the promise and hope of our faith, that while our suffering does matter, there's more to the story. And God uses that suffering to transform us into the likeness of the king that we follow and serve. So God wastes nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's all raw material. Now, I think he's using this very difficult season in our church's life to shape us into the life of Jesus. The shepherd king, the one who came to serve us. I don't know about you. That is a king that I think we can trust. That is a king I think we can follow. That is a king I think we can fully give ourselves to. A king who is close at hand, who is in our midst, and he's out for our good. So, my prayer is this. May we suffer well. May we not lose hope. May we not give our hope away. And let's keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds fixed on Jesus Christ, our King. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.